Hey, welcome to the Lifehouse Newport News podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our vision is to bring life change through Christ to all people. And we believe that happens when people say yes to Jesus, do life together, get in the game, and leave a legacy. We hope this podcast inspires and challenges you to grow in your faith. Subscribe to ensure you don't miss a single episode and share it with someone you know who may need it. Again, thank you for joining us today. Now let's get to this week's episode. So why don't you go ahead, and if you have your Bibles with you, and I hope that you do, go to Mark chapter 15. So go ahead and go there. Um, but I want to do something before we jump into the Word this morning. You know, I want to give some honor, because, you know, the Bible talks about give honor where honor is due. And we live in a society and culture where that's kind of few and far between. And so I want to take the time and I want to honor your pastor, Pastor John and Kristen Ware. And so if you would, I know they're not here, excuse me, but I want them to know that, hey, you love them. Because I tell you what, you find very few pastors, few and far between, that have the heart of Pastor John and Kristen. And so if you would, just express your love. Thank God for your pastors, Pastor John and Kristen Ware. Can we do that? Uh, Pastor John is a good friend of mine. Uh, I don't want to date myself, but uh, when Pastor John was a youth in the youth group at the last church we were at, I was actually an intern serving on staff. So that's how far back we go. And then we had the honor and the privilege to serve with one another. Our wives are very good friends. Matter of fact, just uh, John's a very dear friend of mine. Just a couple of weeks ago, we were actually hanging out, having the boys, our boys. We have boys around the same age, just at the park, hanging out and Just chilling, chatting life, catching up. So you have an incredible, incredible pastor. But you also have an incredible team here uh, at LifeHouse, from Isaiah to to Pastor Christian to to Carrie. All of you guys are just wonderful. So how about you give your entire team just a big uh, show of appreciation to them? And the worship team. Uh, Isaiah and Andrea leading worship, just a wonderful, you guys have just a wonderful thing going on here. And don't take it for granted, because it doesn't happen everywhere. Uh, Do you hear me when I say that? Don't take it for granted, because it doesn't happen everywhere. So, but we're going to go ahead and jump in to the Word. And I'm going to, before we do this, I'm going to ask us to do something here. I'm going to ask if you would just stand up uh, as we reverence the reading of God's Word, as I we read the Word of God today. And don't worry, I'm not going to read the whole chapter of Mark chapter 15, um, but I'm just going to do one verse, and we're going to talk about this one verse this morning. Mark chapter 15, verse 39. And when the centurion who stood there, opposite of Jesus, saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the Son of God. I'm going to read that again. In some translations, instead of uh, opposite, we'll say in front of. But it says, and when the centurion who stood there opposite of Jesus, your version may say in front of, saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the Son of God. You may take your seats this morning. You know, it's funny as you guys are in this series, Enduring Suffering Like Jesus. Now, if you grew up in church, Um, and maybe you have not grown up in church, traditionally today is called Palm Sunday. And if you grew up in church and have a church background, or even if you don't, this is the Sunday that's attributed to the fact that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. And 
as he was riding in, the people of Jerusalem were waving palm branches saying, Hallelujah, glory to God in the highest. They were, they were worshiping him. They were, it was kind of this big, giant, just pep rally. But little did they know that as Jesus was marching into Jerusalem, as he hit the city limits, it was actually a one-way ticket. You see, Jesus wasn't going to leave Jerusalem. It was a one-way ticket to death. You see, the moment that he hit the city outskirts, the countdown clock began to his crucifixion. Because later on during that week, Jesus, as he lived his last week of earthly ministry, he would endure one of the most vicious, vile, sadistic deaths that you would ever endure, and that is the cross. And see, as we talk about this thing of enduring suffering like Jesus, we cannot talk about suffering and not talk about the cross. You see, in order for us to really talk about this thing of suffering, it's, it's we have to take a look at the cross. And that is what we're going to do this morning. We're going to take a look at the cross, but maybe not in the way that we kind of accustom to looking at it. You know, also, if you grew up in church, you may have heard uh, some hymns. Anybody grew up in church singing hymns? Have you, have you heard this, the hymn, you know, uh, Jesus keep me near the cross? You know, the words of it, you know, there is a precious fountain free to all a healing stream froze from Calvary's mountain. Or maybe you've heard the hymn, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, all the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. All the people rejoice. Or what about blessed assurance? Jesus is mine. Come on, if you know it, sing it. Blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Okay, y'all gonna do me like that. Y'all gonna leave me hanging out there. Okay, we'll, we'll just stop. But blessed assurance. Or you may have heard songs like, you could have this whole world, but give me Jesus. You know, no turning back. No turning back. You know, it's interesting because all of those songs, when you start to look at them, especially the ones about the cross, were so near and dear to talk about the cross in such an enduring way. But do you know that all of those hymns were sung by probably one of the most, the most greatest hymnists of all times? It was a lady by the name of Fanny Crosby. Anybody heard of Fanny Crosby? Fanny Crosby is attributed to have sung over 8,000, 8,000 hymns that most of the hymns that you've ever sung most likely were attributed to Fanny Crosby. And, you know, Fanny Crosby was ever she was able to write such a intimate, such worshipful songs to God because of her love for the word of God. You see, Fanny Crosby had memorized the entire books of Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, the Song of Solomon, half of the Proverbs, and half of Psalms. She also had fully memorized Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But to make her story even more interesting and more awe-inspiring, Fanny Crosby was blind. And not that her life 
You think being blind was that she suffered so many things over the course of her life. Losing her father as a baby. Having lost a child during childbirth. Fanny Crosby experienced the sufferings of life. And yet, for an individual who went through so much, she was able to pin these songs. Matter of fact, evangelist D.L. Moody, who's a popular, famous uh, evangel evangelical preacher back then, had interviewed Fanny Crosby, and he said, Fanny, if you could ask for one gift from God, what would you ask him for? And she says, if I was to ask for one gift from God, I would ask that I would remain blind for the rest of my life. Taken aback, D.L. Moody's like, wait a minute. You mean you would want to remain blind? And she says, yes. She said, because being blind for so long, the first and only thing that I want to see when I'm able to see is to be able to see my Lord face to face. That's Fanny Crosby. And it's interesting because here is a woman who lost her eyesight. Her natural sight was taken away from her, but somehow she had a heavenly insight. That despite all that she walked through, she was able to see Jesus in the midst of everything that she walked through. And you know, here's the thing. That there is something about when we are able to look at suffering and we're able to see the suffering, especially that of Jesus. And as we look to the cross, it's something amazing that happens. You know, amazing things happen when we look at the cross and we see what Jesus has done for us. Amazing things happen. But in order for you to understand that, let me, let me preface this and say, if you were to look, take a look and if you were to read your Bible and read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will find this theme. And this theme is this. It is a question that is asked. And the question is, who is Jesus? And the interesting fact is, it's answered at the very beginning. At the beginning of the book of Matthew, it says that he is Jesus. He is God. He is an Emmanuel. He is God with us. At the beginning of the book of John, you hear in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So we get the answer at the very beginning. And then the rest of the Gospels is this journey about who can discern who he is and who can't discern who he is. The ones that should have got it didn't get it, and the ones that shouldn't have got it, got it. So you have the Pharisees and the religious leaders, for sure they should have knew who Jesus was. But let me tell you who knew who Jesus was. It wasn't the, the, the Pharisees and the religious teachers and all the people, the church folk. No, 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 no. It was the woman at the well who had multiple husbands. And the man she was living with wasn't her own. She got it. It was blind Bartimaeus who was blind for most of his life on the side of the road, abandoned. He got it. Or it was the prostitute who washed Jesus' feet with her tears and her hair while the Pharisees stood there criticizing and rebuking her. 
or it was the demoniac that was in a cemetery because he was an outcast because he was crazy. And when the demons heard it, they knew who he was. They got it. And right here in this passage, we get a confession from an unlikely place, which is actually one of the last confessions that you will hear in Scripture of someone who got it. It said a centurion got it. Now, let me do something really quick. Let me explain to you what has happened and what is happening here. This centurion, let me suggest to you this, that this centurion, if you know, is a Roman official. He is in charge of many soldiers. He is a warrior. And as you know it, during that time, Rome was in charge. Rome was the, the big dog. Rome was it. And I would suggest to you that this Roman centurion all throughout his Roman education has been taught that individuals that look like Jesus that are Jewish are subservient to him. I suggest to you that as he goes through his military training, that as he looks at Roman Instagram and Roman Twitter, it is said that anybody like Jesus, this religious fanatic who dies on a cross, deserves what they get. Let me put a pen in that for a moment. Let's slide over here. Let's talk about the crucifixion for a moment. You see, as we celebrate Easter next week, I'm surprised that many of us have seen images of a cross. Some of you might be wearing a cross necklace around your neck. We like to clean the cross up. We, we like to make the cross this nice thing that we wear around our necks and we, you know, we have it like that. But I want to tell you this, that that's not what it is at all. Matter of fact, you would not find a Roman at a Roman dinner table talking about, oh, man, let me see your cross. Oh, man, let me get a tattoo of a cross. You see, because the Roman form of crucifixion, although they didn't invent it, they were the masters of it. That it was a political and it was a social tool used to keep people in line. It was a lynching. You see, what Romans would do is, is that if you were on a cross, they would, it, would, it would be not uncommon, and Jesus lived during this time, so keep this in mind, that you would go into cities and you would see people strung up on crosses, bodies all decayed, many decapitated. And it was a form that when you walked in, it was Rome's way of saying, if you come in this town thinking you could take over, you better think again. It was a political way to let everybody know that we are in charge. But then also socially, it was a way to let people know that, hey, Rome, we're on top. And if you think that you're going to cause any problems, oh, we're going to keep you in line. Because the only people that were, that were strung on crosses were rebels and slaves. And so here it is. This Roman centurion is looking at Jesus and he has been trained all of his life. And the passage says this. Now I want you to follow me. The passage says that he was standing opposite of Jesus. Do you realize that many times we live in a culture, we live in a day and age where we're taught to stand opposite? Let me explain that when you talk about opposite, opposite is a thing of perception. 
that when I'm standing opposite of you, you're over there, I'm over here. And many times from that word opposite, from the root word, we get words like opposition. We get words like opponent. And so when you stand over there and you're on the other side, we look at you, you're looked at as the enemy. And many times, let me explain to you what happens when we're walking through things and we're suffering. What happens is we then tend to look at God when we're going through things and God is over there and we're over here and we say, God, where are you? God, I've done everything I can for you, and yet why is this thing happening in my life? Have you ever been there? Or am I the only one? You see, when that happens is, and we get, we get like that, we say, God, I've done everything, so guess what, God? We, un we unintentionally make God our opponent. Because, God, you're over there. You're over there sitting up high on your good stuff, and I'm over here suffering. And then not only does that affect the way we see God, but it also affects the way that we see people. Because now when we're suffering and we're going through stuff, the person that's over there, the stuff is going good. Oh, they must have did something bad to get it. Or we look and we just start hating people because they're different than we are. You see how we're trained to stay opposite. You know, it's funny because a couple weeks ago, this year has kind of been a, a rough kind of a year. I know for a lot of people it's been rough, but at the beginning of the year, I had um, surgery um, to fix an abdominal hernia. I wouldn't recommend it. Um, no fun. And so, um, and then after that, I've been having to go in and out of the emergency room for various infections, not realizing where they've come from. And so, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, I was in the emergency again, room again for an infection, not knowing where it's coming from and, and not thinking it's from the surgery or anything. And so I'm in there, I get out. And then the next day, and matter of fact, to set this up, um, one of the areas that really is a struggle sometimes for our family is transportation. We just have some ghetto cars. Um, anybody, anybody there, I mean, you, you just, you know, your thing. And so we have a van that we call Lazarus. Um, and, and really it's because somehow the mechanic keeps resurrecting it from the dead. Um, and so we call it, we call it Lazarus and, um, it's got all custom parts. And so, uh, from the scrapyard and, um, it's custom. And so, uh, so we got Lazarus and then we got a Honda Civic that's like a 2002. It's my wife's very first car and she's on life support, but she's been holding us down. I mean, when Lazarus was dead in the grave, you know, our, you know, life support Lucy kept us going. And so uh, we have that. But just a little bit ago, we were blessed to be able to get a new vehicle. And so we have Lazarus that's on life support that didn't know, you know, you don't know when it's going to be a, alive or not. And then we got Lucy on life support. And so you know, both laying around, we got the new car. Um, and so we decided, because we heard of a need of a family that moved to the area, and the uh, young family, they have one car, and the gentleman's working, and the wife has a baby at home, and so we're like, man, you know, they, they need another car. We have this car that's sitting around. Um, life support Lucy, we're going to actually give back we're going to take it to Becca's parents because they need another car, but we're going to take it like closer to the summertime, take it up there with them. So we're like, we got this car sitting around. So we just want to be a blessing to the couple and say, hey, look, she's on life support. Um, but if you take good care of her, she'll get you from A to B. 
you know, just so that way they have a way to get around and the wife won't be stuck at home with the baby with no transportation. And so, so that's kind of there. So, so hold that story in your head. So I just get from the emergency room, like on a Wednesday. Thursday morning, I get a call from the young man that we let use the car. And he says, hey, do you have your insurance card? Yeah. He's like, there's been an accident. Okay. Um, and I think your car is totaled. Oh, really? So my car is totaled. But they're okay. I'm glad they're okay. Don't want you to think I'm heartless. They're okay. But then that afternoon, as I'm trying to figure out, you know, okay, we lost the car, but it's okay. I'm taking my van in, Lazarus, to go get some routine work just to get an oil change and leave with like a $600 bill because Lazarus need to get some work done. Well, as I'm taking Lazarus home from getting repaired, I pull into my driveway and the moment I pull up my driveway, Lazarus dies. The thing that was supposed to get fixed on Lazarus that supposed to got fixed didn't get fixed and Lazarus is dead. And I'm out of 600 bucks. Then to make matters worse, so I'm like, okay, well, it's okay. We, we got a car, you know, but my wife is out of town because she had to handle some business. And so she had taken the car for a couple of days to go out of town. And so she calls me up Friday morning because she was supposed to be coming home. And she says, hey, babe, I'm not going to be home on time. Um, she's like, the car broke down. And you want to know, I'm just, and I'm, I'm in my feelings now. I'm like, God, you mean to tell me that I was in the emergency room on Wednesday, that on Thursday this dude wrecks my car, and I mean, I'm mad now. So now I'm mad at God because I'm like, God, I've done everything. I'm pastoring the church. I'm trying to survive during this pandemic. I'm planting. You know, people ain't coming to church. I mean, I'm going off on God. And I'm like, and you're just over there not doing anything, God. And then on top of that, so I'm mad at God. And then outside of being mad at God at the people that wrecked my car, now I'm like, man, they're no good. They're ungrateful and all this other stuff. You see what happens, how easy it is to jump into this thing? I mean, don't act like you've ever been there. I like to say, because I'm a man of God, I'm holy. I was like, God, the Lord, blessed the Lord, take it away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. No, I wasn't. I was ticked. I was mad. I'm human. But you see how that's how it is that we get opposite and we look at God and we look at people in different ways. But I want to prescribe something else to you. That when you read the passage a little bit closely and you start to dig in to the original translation, opposite isn't quite the correct translation. When transitioning, translating from Hebrew and Greek and things, sometimes things get lost because those languages are a little bit more nuanced than ours. And so the translation really should be that the centurion was near the cross. So let me talk a little bit of something about near the cross, because see, when we get near the cross, like I said, amazing things happen. Our perspective changes. You see, if, if opposite is a matter of perception, nearness is a matter of position. And the closer that we get to something, the more our perception, it changes. Because we see things a little bit differently than when we're standing far back. 
So the centurion, as I said, he stood near the cross. He was able to see some things that was on the cross that prompted him, even though all of his life he saw this man as opposite, all of his life he saw this man as something that's subservient to him, that's not even worth his time, all this time. But all of a sudden, up close, he says, surely this man is the Son of God. And so this morning, really quickly, I want to talk to you about three things that we see when we get near the cross, when we get near our suffering, when we lean into something. There's things that we can see that will, at the end, change the way we look at the entire picture. Somebody say, near the cross. So there's three things. I like to tell you, man, those three things is because, you know, hey, but there's actually just only three things in the passage. Because, you know, sometimes pastors like, I'm going to give you five things that's going to give you whatever. And they're all creative and everything. I can't do that. I'm just going to give you what's in the passage. There's three things in the passage he saw. And so the first thing it says that he saw is he, he saw his suffering. It says when he saw how he died. I want you to think about something. That when we look at Jesus and we look at the way he suffered and died, you know, I don't have time to really go into depth what Jesus actually went through. But I want to tell you this. Just imagine the worst horror movie that you've seen and know that it's not even close to that. That Jesus was beaten beyond recognition. That Jesus, his body was ripped apart. It was ripped apart. And it was, oh, I'm, I'm telling you, it was like, man, you've heard the stories of cat of nine tails, flesh being ripped off, him being thrown down in the dirt, open wounds, dirt's getting all in there. Then has this cross beam that's not this smooth cross, but rough and tattered that's all of a sudden slammed on his back. All these things. And as he's getting ripped apart, his body is crushed cramping up because he's losing blood he's losing electrolytes but at the same time his heart is beginning to to to, to burst really all of these things the suffering that jesus went through he went through for you and then if we allow ourselves to not look away but look into the suffering and realize how he suffered for you then there's something about when we see suffering and we allow ourselves to see it it changes us that when you can truly understand what Jesus went through for you, you cannot look at that and be the same. And remember how I said how our, it affects the way we look at others? That when we see the suffering of other people, that if you have any godly compassion inside of you, that if you have anything of Jesus in you, you cannot look at other people's suffering and what they go through and look at it and not be affected and changed. Then it you see, when we begin to look up close at people and what they walk through, then it causes us to sing a different song. Then we can't just quote political rhetoric. We can't just quote what everybody else says because we look at what people are going through and it changes us. Let me give you an example. 14-year-old boy, 1955. His mom sends him down from the south side of Chicago, sends him down to Money, Mississippi. Sends him down to Money, Mississippi to spend the summer with his family. As he's down there, he's hanging out. He ends up one day going to 
a store, a convenience store, is accused of whistling at a white woman. As he is accused of whistling at the white woman, what is the verdict? What happens? He is gunshot to the head, barbed wire tied around the neck, eyes gouged out, beat beyond recognition, and thrown into a river. But what happens next is amazing because what happens next changed the course of race relations in this country. It began the civil rights movement. You see, many people think that the civil rights movement began later on in December with the Montgomery bus riots. No, 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 no. It was this incident that changed the game. Mamie Till Mobley, his mother. When the body requested, she requested it come back to Chicago. She told the funeral director, don't clean it up. Matter of fact, I want the world to see it. I want to have an open casket funeral. And so as everybody, thousands of people went to the funeral at Roberts Temple Church of God in Christ in Chicago, the world saw the brutality and the horrors of lynching up close face to face where people had a luxury to hide from it. It was now on full effect as newspapers and everything had these pictures circulating all throughout the country. And it was people who were moved to see the horrific nature of what had happened that sparked the civil rights movement. And it was interesting because Rosa Parks was asked when she did not get up and says, why did you not get up? She said, because I thought about Emmett Till. And I thought about what happened to him. And she says, it prompted me I could not get up. You see, when we see suffering and we see what happens, it changes us. When we see the suffering that Jesus went through, it does something inside of us that changes us. But also when we see the suffering of people and what they go through up close, it changes us on the inside. So he saw the sufferings of Jesus. But what's the second thing he saw? He saw his humanity. It says this, he stood there near the cross, he saw how he died, and he said, surely this man. Why is that important that we see his humanity? Because when we see his humanity, we understand that Jesus identifies with what we're going through. To know that, hey, that when the Roman centurion looked at Jesus, he said, man, here was an individual that's a Jew, I'm a Roman. I looked down on him, but I see, wait a minute, he's a man just like me. He bleeds just like me. He hungers just like me. He thirsts just like me. He feels pain just like me. So that what is that for us to know that when we're walking through what we're walking through, Jesus knows how you feel. He knows how you feel when you lose a loved one. He knows how it feels to be betrayed. He knows how it feels to be talked about. He knows how it feels to be treated unfairly. He knows how it feels to hunger. He knows how it feels to thirst. He knows what it's like to be tempted to take your own life. You say, what are you talking about? When the enemy came to tempt him, he said, hey, why don't you jump off of this building? Take your life. 
He knows what it's like to be anxious and depressed. You say, well, what are you talking about? In the Garden of Gethsemane, the Bible says that he pleaded so hard that God, please take this cup away, that it said that he sweated blood. Do you know what doctors say? That there is actually a condition where you actually are anxious so much that your capillaries will pop and you can actually sweat blood. He knows what it is like. So for us to understand that when we're going through and we're walking through the things that we're walking through our suffering, we have a God who knows what it feels like because as humanity, he has walked through it. And so therefore, he can carry you through it. You see, he saw his humanity. And when we see the humanity of Jesus and understand he can identify with us, it changes the way we look at our suffering, but also when we're able to see the humanity of other people. To know we just can't then just put people in these neat categories when we understand that we're all humanity. And then the last thing. The last thing he saw was interesting because it says he saw how he died, he saw his suffering, and he saw surely this man, he saw his humanity, but then he said, surely this man was the son of God. He saw divinity. You say, wait a minute, pastor. You mean Jesus is beat beyond recognition. He's there on a cross. He is beaten. He is bruised. But it was in the midst of all of this that this centurion saw God. What does that mean? That means for us that we have to be very careful in the places of where we see God and where we don't. Remember earlier, it was the people that should have got it that didn't. And it was the people that shouldn't have got it that got it. You see, we're so quick to say Jesus is not over there, but he's over here. But yet it was in the very place of pain and the very place of suffering and the very midst of brutality, right in the middle of all of that, that is where Jesus was. Which gives me comfort to know that when I'm at my lowest point, that when I'm in pain and that when I'm in agony and I'm suffering, whether it's physically in my body or it's emotionally, whatever it is, that it is in the midst of there where Jesus makes his home. It is in the midst of all of that that the centurion looked up and said, there is something about this that isn't just humanly possible. There is something that within the brutality and the ugliness of the cross, there is something beautiful that is happening. Because if you know the story, you know that as Jesus was sitting there, hung, strung up, made an example of, that he looks down at the very people that put him there. And he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And it was something that was divine. Let me, let me, let me share something that's really interesting about this for a moment. Again, we have a little bit of translation things going on here. Because you see, this is translated son of God. But I really don't quite think this Roman centurion really understood what he was actually confessing, but he knew that something wasn't human 
about this man because when the it said surely this man is the son of a god it's a translation thing with the greek with the when you have your articles and things there and so the article just got removed and just said the son of god but it don't worry it's a greek thing don't don't worry about it but what does it mean that even through all of that that he saw the divine and what jesus went through that he saw that there was something about him suffering that was beautiful and you see for us when we allow ourselves to see the suffering that Jesus went through when we allow ourselves to see his humanity and we will, and through that we can see his divinity and knowing us in that where we see peace, where we find our healing, where we find our joy, to know this, that Jesus did all of that for you. Thank you again for joining us today. If you need prayer, have any questions about what you just heard, or say yes to Jesus, please reach out to us at LifehouseNN.com or text 757-690-2401. We'd love the opportunity to pray for you and help guide you through the next step in your faith journey. In the meantime, we hope you'll join us online next Sunday at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. at LifehouseOnline.com or in person for a live worship service at 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. at the Kiln Creek Regal Theater in Newport News, Virginia. Visit LifehouseNN.com for more information or to RSVP for a live service.